I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, let's just be clear here. Um, the leader preached the sermon already this morning. That was amazing, that beautiful letter. Um, this is just dessert. That was the meal. Um, and also, congrats to all these medical graduates. I feel like if ever there were a good time to have a medical emergency, it's right here right now because we're going to be well taken care of. So no worries there, but congrats to everyone. And thank you to Pastor Craig for inviting me here this morning. I love this series that you are talking about during Eastertide, this topic of legacies and what those who have gone before us offer us in terms of wisdom and love and the different legacies that they have left behind for us. So I'm going to share with you the legacy of two women, in particular one that hopefully you have heard of before, but maybe you haven't heard her name until now. So when we think of the book of Esther, we usually think of Queen Esther. She's the winner of the king's beauty pageant. And Queen Esther, who along with her cousin Mordecai, works behind the scenes, ends up saving an entire nation of Jewish people from the extinction of the king's right-hand man, Haman. We know this story, right? This is the story of the book of Esther. And she's amazing. I don't want to take anything away from Esther because she puts her life at risk in a very powerful way. But we often forget that the entire first chapter of the book of Esther is written about what happened before that beauty pageant, before Esther became queen. So her name was Vashti. And her husband is King Ahasuerus, also known as Xerxes. And that makes Vashti, the queen of Persia. Have you ever thought about how interesting queens are? Very few little girls talk about wanting to grow up and be queen. And very few nurseries are decorated with the word queen hanging above the crib. And very few parents call their daughters mommy and daddy's little queen. It's princesses, right, that we lift up and celebrate. Princesses are the Disney sweethearts, not queens. In fact, my husband and I took our daughter to Disneyland yesterday, SoCal Pass, highly recommend it, great discount. And I, ha I had to think to myself as I walked around the Magic Kingdom, the stories of Snow White, Cinderella, Jasmine, Belle, Ariel, Anna and Elsa, all feature queens who are deceased. I know that is a really grim way to walk around Disneyland, but I couldn't help it. I'm thinking about this sermon and this topic. And in Disney, all the queens, think about it, they're either deceased or they're evil queens, right? They're abusive. They feed poisoned apples. They do all these crazy things. And perhaps it's because princesses don't have all those responsibilities Maybe that's why we prefer them over queens. Princesses are carefree. They're depicted in the books and movies and paintings as pining for love and off having adventures or wandering through enchanted forests. But queens are found gripping their thrones, right? Because someone's about to take it from them. Or queens are just accessorizing kings. You only need to glance at a history book 
of any given monarchy to read the somber biographies of the world's queens. I, just a show of hands, has anyone seen the musical Six? I recently went, okay, you have to see this, friends. I recently went for my birthday with some friends, and it is so great. It is the story of the six queens who married Henry VIII, and they finally get a chance to sing and tell their stories. And it is wonderful, so I highly recommend that. But this queen, her name was Vashti. And she was the accessory to a king type of queen. And Xerxes is the worst type of king to accessorize. His appetites are enormous, his ego is even bigger, and he constantly craves the approval and admiration of others. He believes that he's really powerful, but like most people who are not like ultimately powerful, but are really insecure, the text says that he is trying to impress his officials by displaying the great wealth of his kingdom and splendor and pomp of his majesty with a party. Did you catch this? A party that lasts 180 days. That's six months. Y'all, that is a really long party. And so one day when scripture calls the king very politely, I think, um, marry with wine. <laughs> he commands Vashti to come out in her royal crown before all of his buddies so that they can behold her beauty. Now, that detail about her wearing the royal crown is a suggestion here that she was not to be wearing much else, if you catch my drift. So the king's idea is to have all these men who have been eating his food and drinking the best wine that they have in the kingdom and listening to all this great music to take a good long look at his queen and to remember that he is the king. He owns her. She is his accessory. And this is the one thing in the kingdom that they can't have. It's a total flex, right? It's a power move from this insecure, ridiculous king. So at this point in the rager, I want you to imagine the record like screeching to a halt and everyone stops and stares and like somewhere in the back like a fork drops, you know, because the eunuchs return to the banquet hall to the king empty handed and they tell the king, uh, uh, Vashti refused. She refused to be put on display for the amusement of these strangers. She refused to be exploited by her husband's hunger for power, and she refused to take orders from a man who has been drunk for six months straight. <laughs> so let's all just take a moment and let that sink in and appreciate our ancestor Vashti. Her name was Vashti, and she refused to do what the king asked of her. Now, King Xerxes' reaction is predictable, right? He's insecure. He's a power-hungry ruler. The text says he burned with anger. This man has never heard the word no. He is a man who gives orders and expects them to be followed immediately. So one of the king's officials, you know the right-hand man is always like kind of shady. And he like kind of jabs at him and he's like, uh-oh, <laughs> what are you going to do now? That's so embarrassing. If word gets out that she refused, 
all the women in your entire kingdom are going to discover the power of the word no. And that's not going to be great because when oppressed people discover the power of saying no, everything's going to change. Like all these women are going to have a voice and they're going to start saying no to their husband when they are told things that they don't want to do. That's not a great look for you, Xerxes. And that sends Xerxes into a total panic spiral. What is he going to do? No one has refused him anything ever. So the official smoothly proposes, maybe the king should get rid of Vashti and have a beauty pageant to find a new young virgin who will replace her as the queen. And Xerxes is like, that is a great idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly what I was thinking. So just like that, Vashti is gone, wiped clean from the slate. She's disposed like a piece of spoiled fruit, and she's just tossed out like an old bouquet. And that barely brings us to the beginning of chapter 2 out of 10 in the book of Esther. So obviously the book is named Esther, the winner of said beauty pageant. Not Vashti, the loser of the human rights campaign here. <laughs> so the story moves forward, and just as the king and his officials had planned, Vashti is never mentioned again in the rest of the story. But the thing about women, I think one of our very best qualities is that we talk. <laughs> Chalk it up to science. There is a brain protein. This is real. There is a brain protein known as FOXP2, which is required for language and speech development, and it is 30% higher in young girls than in young boys. That's likely why, if you've noticed, young girls tend to learn to speak earlier and more quickly and have larger vocabularies than boys of the same age. They'll catch up, don't worry, but it's just that brain protein that's present. And even as adults, studies show that the average woman speaks about 13 thousand more words than the average man every single day. Yeah, we talk. It's fine. We talk. And since King Xerxes was hosting a beauty pageant to round up the most beautiful women in the kingdom, you can bet that between costume changes and the interview portion and the swimsuit modeling and the talent show or whatever they had to do, those young women were talking. No doubt Esther, the fairest of them all, had heard about Vashti's story. More specifically, she definitely heard about Vashti's refusal. Why else were all of these women auditioning to be queen, right? They weren't stupid. They knew exactly what had gone down with Vashti. They knew exactly why the throne next to Xerxes was empty. So Esther is crowned the new queen of Persia by King Xerxes for her beauty, but she winds up with her own book in the Bible because she is very shrewd. Unbeknownst to anyone in the palace, Esther is a Jew. And because the Jews are being held in captivity in Persia against their will during this time period, Esther decides... Yeah, maybe I won't bring that up to the king. I'll just keep that to myself. So like I said, she knows what happened to Vashti, 
She knows what kind of a volatile King Xerxes is. So she's just trying to keep her head down and stay alive. But soon enough, King Xerxes is being swayed again by one of his officials. This time it's a man named Haman who tells him, you know what? I'm tired of these Jews. They don't listen to us. They don't bow down when I tell them they should. We should just do away with all of them. And, you know, he preys on this idea that Xerxes has, like, people should say yes when I ask them to do something. And if the Jews are saying no when we're asking them to bow down to us, then yeah, maybe they should all be gone. So King Xerxes, who doesn't think he's ever met one of these so-called Jewish people, gives his official the green light and says, yeah, go ahead with the, the do away with the Jews project. I, I green light that, he stamps it, it's gone. And his beautiful new accessory queen, Queen Esther, a Jewish woman, is just sitting there silently beside him, watching this happen. So it actually takes the urging of Esther's cousin Mordecai to convince her that she has to use her position to change the king's mind about destroying all of the Jews. So in chapter 4, he sneaks into her palace and he says to her, don't think that the king's palace is a place where you will escape more than any of the other Jews. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. It's a very famous biblical quote, for such a time as this. So Esther frets and frets about this, but ultimately she decides she has to use her position as queen to convince the king not to kill the Jews. And she says this beautiful line when she makes that decision. She says, if I perish, I perish. And then she works to change the king's mind and becomes the heroine of this whole story. But I wonder if Esther would have ever had the courage to do what she did if she had not first heard the story of Vashti. If she had not heard that that first queen refused. If she had not first heard that there was a woman who decided to stand up for herself, to stand up for the basic human rights that every basic human being should possess, I think that it was Vashti's refusal that set the precedence for Esther's work as a savior to the Jewish people. There Stories are inextricably linked, and they demonstrate how just as one injustice can lead to another, so can one resistance lead to another. I'm so grateful that our ancestors who recorded these stories did not leave out the beginning part of Vashti's story. That's so important for us to hear and her story reminds us that like the officials fretted when oppressed people discover the power of saying no, everything will change. So like I said, when Craig asked me to preach during this powerful sermon series that you're doing, considering the legacies of those who have gone before us, I knew that this was the one I wanted to talk about with you. Um, as the mother of a little girl, I'm so grateful that Vashti is part of our ancestors in scripture. I'm so grateful that 
she said no to a derogatory, uncomfortable situation. And I pray that all of our children, boys and girls, learn the power of saying no to abuse. The power of saying no to unwanted sexual advances, no to peer pressure, no to drugs, no to risky behavior, no to anyone or anything that doesn't feel safe or right to them. No is a powerful word, and we need to feel empowered to use it when it needs to be used. And for all of you adults, our children watch us. And if we don't know how to say no when we need to say no, how can we expect them to learn it as well? Esther's determination to use her power, uh, her position for power, for good, for meaningful change, is also such an important legacy for us. And I pray that we teach our children that any ounce of privilege that they have in this world is an opportunity to help those with less privilege. So if you yourself have not considered and embraced the legacies of these two ancestors of ours, I invite you to consider what it would mean for you to use your voice to say no to something in your life that is oppressive or abusive and how to say yes to freedom and compassion and helping others in need. Maybe you're being called to act like Vashti to be the first refusal in an uncomfortable situation. Maybe you're being called to be the very first voice that will speak up in the face of an injustice. Maybe in your workplace, maybe in your family, maybe in your community, maybe you are uniquely positioned to make the very first refusal. No, I refuse to accept that unfair policy. No, I refuse to go along with that lie. No, I refuse to ignore the racist undertones of what's being said here. No, I refuse to pretend that this relationship is healthy. No, I refuse to enable this destructive behavior. No, I refuse to remain silent about the unjust deaths of citizens in our country who are black. No, I refuse to turn a blind eye to the human trafficking that's happening right here in our home communities. No, I refuse to accept the injustices of the LGBTQ community. No, I refuse to do the easy thing instead of the right thing. Your no could pave the way for others to speak out. Your no could change the course of your life, and it could also change the course of others' lives. Now, I'll be honest, saying no is not always easy and it's not always popular. It doesn't win you awards. And our scripture passage today proves it does not get you your own book in the Bible. But Vashti's refusal to go along with an injustice paved the way for Esther's refusal to go along with an injustice. And that saved an entire nation of people. Or perhaps like Esther, you have been sent to this place for such a time as this. God knows our society needs more voices of hope, more voices of compassion, 
more voices of truth. Now more than ever, we need to use our voices to say no to violence and pain and oppression and to say yes to equality and liberation and freedom. Because just as those officials fretted, when oppressed people discover the power of saying no, everything will change. And that for us as people of faith is very good news. Amen.